As we stand, shall we pray? God our Father, how we praise you that you have created us, you've created us to know you and to love you. And we pray that as we look at uh, your word, uh, that we would come to to love you more and want to serve you more uh, in our week and in wherever situation we find ourselves. Help us, we pray. Help me as I speak. Help us as we listen to hear your words for us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do please uh, take a seat. Uh, Two questions for you as we uh, begin. Uh, Firstly, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you would call yourself a a Christian, uh, imagine that you've got a friend. Let's call her Katie. Uh, She's become a Christian here in uh, Norwich. Perhaps she's come on one of our Alpha courses. Uh, She's got stuck into church. She's growing wonderfully. Things are are looking really, really good. Uh, Sadly, her work um, has meant that she's got to move away. So she's moved away to a different part of the country. Uh, that's fine. She seems to get stuck into church. She's growing uh, wonderfully. Uh, and then after a few months, you suddenly receive an email from her. Everything seems fine still. It's all kind of, you know, things are all going well. She's stuck into church. On the surface, it's all looking good. And yet there's a few hints that things aren't quite what they should be. Um, for example, she said that she's read a book that says that um, unless you've had some special deep experience, you're some kind of second-class Christian. Oh, odd. Uh, perhaps she's, uh, she said that she's, well, she started fasting every week uh, because somebody in her church has said, uh, if you're fasting, then that's the way that you're going to draw closer to God. You'll become a better Christian through doing those things. What would you write back to her? That's the first question. Perhaps if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, a Christian, but you're, you're here anyway and it's great to have you with us, what would you say Christianity is all about? Who is Jesus, this figure that we keep talking about? We've talked about him many times already this morning. We're going to look at him again. Who is Jesus? What is he all about? Why is he so important? He's the centrepiece of history. History is is marked around him. Yet, why is he so important? What makes him so special? Well, St. Paul's uh, words to us this morning in the letter to Colossians, I think, answers both those questions. Uh, Alan introduced our series last week. Let me just remind you in case you've forgotten. Uh, The scenario is that we've got a group of young Christians. They became uh, followers of Jesus um, a little while back. They were growing wonderfully in their faith. Things were going really, really well, making giant leaps forward. And all of a sudden, they started getting a bit confused about what does it mean to be a Christian? What's it all about? Uh, They've got some people who've come into their their group, into their fellowship, who were saying that, well, actually, you've you've got it wrong. This Paul chap, and and it's not about following Jesus as such, it's about doing something else. And and they've they've just started to wander away a bit from the the path that they've started on. And St. Paul writes to them just to hold them back, to say, look, no, come back. Come back to first principles, back to, to, uh, to, 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 to to the Jesus that you started following. Things were going so well, why have you drifted away from it? And yet also it answers our second question, because it shows us why Jesus is what it's all about, why he is the centrepiece of Christianity, indeed of the whole universe. Uh, Paul wisely takes us and the Colossians back to first principles. He sets out just who the Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us. Uh, in doing so, he gives us some of the, the richest um, material, I think, in the New Testament on, on Jesus. It's wonderful stuff. Let's uh, dive in, shall we, straight away. And uh, my first heading for us to help us think about this is, uh, Paul tells us who Jesus is, and he says he is Christ, supreme in creation. 
Look at uh, verse 15 uh, of our passage. If you've got it open, it's uh, page 1182. If you've uh, closed your Bible, it'll be very helpful. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Many, many years ago, there was a man called uh, J.B. Phillips who translated the New Testament, and he wrote a, a little book alongside that called Your God is Too Small. I don't think you'd ever say that of uh, St. Paul from this passage. It's a phenomenally dense and uh, rich description of the Lord Jesus. Paul is very, very anxious to show to the Colossians that the Lord Jesus is the one who is supreme over all creation. And he does so with this astonishingly dense description of Jesus and, and who he is and all the qualities that, uh, that comprise. Let's try and uh, tease it out, shall we? There's an awful lot in here. We can't quite cover everything, but we'll see how we go. Firstly, he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. You see that in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, the, the word that he uses here is, is a Greek word, which means portrait. It's, it's like a picture of something, the exact likeness uh, if you, uh, or exact representation. In other words, he's saying that Jesus is the perfect likeness of God himself. He, you know, he, he is the exact representation. And yet more than that, if you caught that in our reading as we uh, go on further, in verse 19 he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. More than him simply being a portrait or a picture of God, he is God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. All the fullness of deity. He is God incarnate, the word made flesh, as the Bible tells us. He's come into the world that we might behold the glory of God. Uh, This week I was playing squash against uh, somebody. I was playing a squash league up at uh, UEA, and... um, the, you know, as you, as you do, you, I'd never met this chap before. We got chatting, and he asked me what I did. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a vicar, actually. Oh, I've never played a vicar before at squash, etc., etc. Anyway, afterwards, we were, we were having, a, having a drink, and um, it turns out that he, at one time, he, I think he would have called himself a follower of Jesus. Certainly, he'd been to church. He'd grown up in church. And he turned around, and he just said something. He said, I just wish that God would show himself to me. If I saw God, I'd believe him. Uh, and I said, well, it's funny that, because the Bible tells us that if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. St. Paul says that he, he, God has revealed himself. He has done so in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. More than that, he is God in human flesh. All fullness of deity dwells in him. Secondly, not only is he God, but Paul says that he is the firstborn over all creation. End of verse 15. The firstborn over all creation. When Paul calls him the firstborn, he doesn't so much mean that he uh, turned up first on the scene. That's not really what it's uh, about. More, he is saying that he is in first place. He's worthy of great honour. Many of you, I'm sure, will be aware that uh, in many societies, even to some extent still our our own, um, if you are the firstborn son of a family, you you occupy a place of of great honour. You're the one who tends to inherit uh, Herit things, uh, and you have a sort of, there is a position of honour. And that's the idea that we have here. Uh, It's the same idea. Uh, Paul is saying that that he is the the first one, the the honoured one, firstborn over all creation. 
It's a theme that comes through the, uh, the, the Old Testament. Um, in uh, Exodus, God's people, Israel, are called the firstborn of God. There's this idea that they are the, the honoured people above all the rest of the world. Perhaps even more significant for us, it's actually the title that is used of the Messiah. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 89, uh, he promises of the Messiah that God will make him the firstborn over all other kings and rulers. He, he will be the one who reigns supreme. And so for Paul to describe Jesus as the firstborn, he's saying something incredibly profound. He is the Messiah. He is the, the, the fulfillment of all these promises that the Bible has been looking forward to. He's reigning over everything else. He is God's anointed king, the supreme ruler. He is the fulfillment of God's salvation promises. All of them find their yes in him. It's no surprise that having affirmed Jesus as the firstborn, Paul then goes on to say that creation has come about through him. He is what we might call uh, the agent of creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. I don't know if you remember your chemistry lessons at school, but uh, when I did chemistry, we were taught about the agents, and the agent was the chemical that sort of made things happen. That's a very, very simplistic um, definition. I'm sure people can correct me on that. But essentially, the, the agent is the thing that makes things happen. And really, we could say the same about the Lord Jesus and creation. He is the one who has made it happen. Through Jesus, creation has come into being. He was at work right from the beginning of, uh, of history, uh, no one is quite sure, but it's, it's quite possible that some of the false teaching that the Colossians are receiving, some of the, the errors that they were making, was to, to put Jesus on the same level as sort of other created beings, like angels or something. We're not totally sure. It's all sort of piecing it to, together a bit. Uh, and Paul says to them, look, far from being on that level, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is the one who has called all things to be made. He's caused them to, to happen. In fact, more than that, he's the one who keeps it going. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Even further, he's the one for whom creation exists. The universe has been made, created to bring him praise and glory. How on earth can the Colossians or anyone else put Jesus on the same level as, uh, as other created things? He has no rivals. He is the one who is Lord of all. And if he's Lord of all, then it follows that he must also be the head of God's people, God's new humanity at the church. Verse 18, Paul says he's the head of the body, <coughs> Excuse me, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul reminds us he is the beginning of the church. God's new people find their beginning in him. Uh, he has defeated death itself. Uh, and because of that, he has ushered in a new age, a new age of salvation. We've just heard, haven't we, about the resurrection. Because of Jesus' resurrection, he's the firstborn from the dead. Death holds no fear for us. And if we're part of his church, if we're followers of Jesus, we're connected to him. He's the one where we find life and fullness. There's no need for the Colossians or for us or anyone else to go anywhere, anywhere else to find uh, fullness. It's here. In the Lord Jesus. Well, there's lots of things there. What might they all mean for us? Let me uh, tease out a few thoughts. Firstly, I think it means that what we make of Jesus matters supremely. Uh, if we say that anything else is equal to him, any other person, 
any other created thing is on the same level as the Lord Jesus, we have got things very, very wrong. If we deny that Jesus is divine, if he is the Son of God, or we deny his supremacy over everything else, then we are making a dreadful error. Lots of people think that Jesus was just simply a prophet or a wise man or some kind of miracle worker who went around for a few years, did a few nice things and somehow happened to set up some cult that inexplicably has managed to survive. That's not the message of the Bible. The Bible says that he is divine. He is God incarnate, the Lord of creation. Everything comes under his reign and his sphere. And to worship anything else other than the Lord Jesus is put it simply, idolatry. Uh, The Colossians were in a grave danger of drifting away from that, of putting something else in in place. They were losing sight of who Jesus is, and they were drifting away from him. You read any history of the church, particularly the first 500 years of its existence, and you'll see it happening time and time again. People who were not clear on who Jesus was and just ended up drifting away into uh, some kind of uh, cul-de-sac of their own devising. There was a lady who used to come on TV a few years ago who used to talk about, you are what you eat, didn't she? Remember a few years ago. You could even more say that you are what you believe. If we are not clear on who Jesus is, that will have massive implications for our lives and uh, what we make of him. But secondly, if Jesus is indeed Lord of all, as Paul tells us, then that means that every area of life is his and belongs to him. Uh, There was a uh, Dutch Reformed theologian called Abraham Kuyper, and he said these amazing words in a speech. Um, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Amazing words. That's St. Paul's words as well. He is Lord of everything. He's Lord of our homes, our families. He's Lord of the office. He's Lord in the lecture room. He's Lord in the surgery. He's Lord in the shop. He's Lord of everything. And he deserves to be worshipped. And we must call everybody to acknowledge his lordship and to bow the knee at him. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess who he is. So that's who he is. He is Christ supreme in creation. Secondly, Paul moves on to say, what has he done? And he is Christ who is supreme in salvation. Let's have a look at verse 19 and following, shall we? What does uh, Paul say? He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. St. Paul has given us this grand vision of Christ. He's ruling over his creation. And now he turns to examine, well, what has he done for that creation? What is so special about what he has done? And what he focuses in on is reconciliation. What on earth does he mean by saying that uh, Jesus is a reconciler, he's achieved reconciliation? Well, the word that's used here for reconciliation has at its heart the idea of change. Um, Originally, it came from the idea of changing money. It was a sort of word from the marketplace. But over time, it moved into being about a change of relationships, uh, specifically between two people who were opposed. So they, they were sort of, you know, fallen out and, and things were, they were going in very different directions. And that change in relationship that has brought them back together. Used to be enemies, but now they're friends. Uh, and Paul explains that the great work of Christ 
on behalf of the world has been to restore this lost relationship between God and us. He's healed the the breach. He's bridged the chasm, if you like, between uh, a heavenly God and, uh, and us on earth, sinners who have rejected him. The Bible explains that we were all created to know him, uh, to love him, to serve him. And yet from the beginning of uh, creation, uh, by nature, humanity has turned its back on God. We've rejected him. We've rejected his rule in our lives. We've said that we want to rule it by ourselves. We haven't acknowledged his lordship, as Paul has just uh, demonstrated. Uh, and because of that, there's been a breakdown in communication. Uh, we are estranged from God, if you like to put it like that. The relationship has been broken. And Paul says wonderfully that through the Lord Jesus, it's possible for that breakdown to be healed. That, that, that relationship that once was lost to be restored for, for two parties who were seemingly at loggerheads to be reconciled, to come back, for us to call God our friend, our Heavenly Father. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, more than that, says Paul, uh, not just... This doesn't just have implications for us, but it has implications for all of creation. Did you see? He says, um, uh, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. Uh, That's not that um, Paul is saying that all people will suddenly be saved. I don't think he's saying that at all. But he is saying that the the stain of sin, the the, the fact that sin has, has spoiled our creation, is going to be reversed that through the Lord Jesus' death, somehow, on this grand cosmic scale, God has made it possible for creation to be renewed, to be restored. What has been broken, what isn't working properly, is being restored, and one day it will be be, um, renewed in its entirety. The Lord Jesus has ushered in new creation. We live in a world of pain and sickness and difficulty and struggle and strife. And through the Lord Jesus, those things are being renewed. One day we can look forward to a new creation. How has all this occurred? Well, Paul's answer is very simply that it was through his blood shed on the cross, verse 20. By making peace through his blood, Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Uh, Through his death on the cross, in our place, the Lord Jesus has dealt with sin. And he's made it possible for us to be forgiven by God and to come into relationship with him. St. Paul wrote elsewhere in uh, the letter to the Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we were once enemies of God, and yet through his death he has uh, achieved that reconciliation, that restoration. The one who is supreme over all creation has entered in creation and is also supreme in salvation. And these are truths, says St. Paul, that aren't just abstract concepts, but they are truths that every Christian experiences. Uh, read on with me a verse from verse 21. He's uh, writing to the Colossians and he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul points back to the Colossians and their own experience. 
And any doubts that they have about the truth of the gospel that they seem to be wandering away from, he says, look, you, you, these should be quelled because you should be able to look at your own lives and say, you know from your experience that these truths are indeed true. They can reflect and look back on their own experience and understand that this wonderful work of the Lord Jesus is true. It, it has a past, a present, and a future, I think, uh, from St. Paul's words, he says. Uh, look at the past dimension. Uh, they once were enemies of God, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds. Your minds were, were hostile to all um, of God. You didn't want to know him. You were enemies with him because of your evil behavior. That was the past. They were facing the penalty for sin because of all that they had done. And yet now, because of the Lord Jesus, now, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. There's, a, there's been a change in relationship. They are now at rights at right with God. The, the things have changed. The, uh, the, uh, the relationship has been transformed. They're now right with him. They're able to live for him. And their future is secure as well, past, present, and future. They have a future destined for them with God. We carry on, verse 22. Uh, he, died, he reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, presents you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. They face a future with God, acquitted of all charges. The charge sheet has been gone. It's been ripped up, thrown away. They're acceptable. They are holy in his sight. And they're free from the presence of sin in their lives. And all of this, says St. Paul, flows from Christ's work on the cross. It flows from the gospel. It has a past, a present, and a future dimension. And the Colossians can look at their lives and they say, yes, it has. I can, we can see that. It's been, they're a fully worked out example. And yet, as glorious as these truths are, there's also a condition attached, isn't there? Verse 23. Uh, he says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved away, not moved from the hope held out, in the gospel. The future is secure so long as the Colossians continue to build their lives on solid gospel foundations uh, and, and they avoid the, the shifting sands of the false teachers, these people who've come in and are trying to tear them away, draw them away from what they uh, have first believed in. They're not to give up on what first brought them to a knowledge of Christ because it's the same thing that will actually bring them home in the end. Because true faith is lasting faith. Uh, They're not to drift away from it, because this is what will guarantee them uh, to be found with Christ at the end. The great problem that faced the Colossians is still the great problem that faces us all today. Perhaps you're here, and it's news to you that we are alienated from God. You don't feel particularly alienated. But the Bible says that we are. The Bible says that the default setting of this world is that we have turned our back on God. All of us have done that. There's none, none of us are without excuse. We have said to God, we don't want to, you to rule in our lives. We want to be masters of our own destinies. And all of us need to be reconciled to him. Nobody uh, can say that that is not applicable to them. And the, whole, the big question of our lives is how can we know this God who has created us and who calls us to know him. And the answer for us today is the same that it was for those in Colossae 2,000 years ago. It is through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the cross. 
The writer of the Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Without Jesus' death in our place, without his uh, perfect death securing forgiveness for us, we could not be acceptable before a holy God. We could not be reconciled to him. Uh, there was a, um, a, a picture that was painted in the Great War that was quite famous at the time, and it showed a, a, a young signalman who was lying dead in the battlefield. And in his hands was a newly joined telephone cable. He'd obviously been sent out to repair it, but had been killed whilst, uh, whilst undertaking his mission. And the implication of the picture was very clear. Through this young soldier's sacrifice, communication had been restored. His sacrifice wasn't in vain. It had indeed restored communication. It's not a perfect picture, but it it helps us to understand a little bit that through the death of the Lord Jesus, communication has been restored between a sinful world and a holy God. We can have communication with headquarters again. And so if we want to be reconciled to God, and that surely should be the heart of all of us, we have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ through his cross. There's no other way. We have to bow the knee to him and say, Lord, we want you to be Lord of our lives. We accept that you are the only one who can secure that relationship for us. And the question for us is, have we taken that decision? Have we done that? Uh, there'll be people here, I'm sure, who'd love to pray uh, with that, with, with you, uh, through that with you. Uh, at the end, they'll be uh, here at the front, and we would love to speak to you with that. Perhaps you'd like to explore that a bit further. But that is the pressing problem that faces all of us. How can we be reconciled? to a holy God. Paul's answer is there is one way, and it is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps these are truths that are old truths to you. You've known these truths for many, many years, and that's, that's wonderful. But perhaps you also know that deep down they've become slowly less significant to you as the years have uh, gone on. Perhaps you've just grown a little bit cold, a little bit careless. Uh, perhaps you've just let other things crowd in. Maybe uh, you've been tempted, and I think many of us can testify to this, that we've been, we've been tempted to treat these truths, these foundational truths about Jesus and what he's done for us, as kind of beginner stuff. When we've been Christians, we, we graduate onto something new. And St. Paul's answer is, no, we don't. You never graduate from the gospel. That's what brought you to Christ is the same thing that is going to keep you on the road to him. We never graduate from the gospel. What saves us to start with is what will sustain us all the way to the end. And I think Paul's message to us, if we've been Christians for for many years, if we're followers of Jesus, is the same that it was to the Colossians. Don't drift away. Stick with him. He's the only one who who is supreme in salvation. Nothing else will manage to, 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 to do that for us. And nothing else is going to satisfy in the way that he will. Hold fast to him. We sometimes sing, don't we? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. St. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, and I guess for us, is that we would always be able to sing of that, that what we hold on to is the Lord Jesus. He is supreme. He is sufficient in salvation. He's the one who's achieved it, and he's the one we need to hang on to if we want to make it home at the end. Well, as we draw to a close, what would you have uh, said to... Uh, our, f- our friend uh, who emailed you right at the very start, I wonder what you would have said to her if she was, uh, seemed to be drifting away from things. What would have been the things that you would have said? What would you have said in answer to my question about what is so significant about the Lord Jesus? Why do Christians focus on him so much? Well, to uh, a group of Christians who are just drifting away, 
and are losing sight of just how significant the Lord Jesus is, Paul reminds them of his supremacy. He is supreme above all else, above all creation. And we must bow the knee to him. And he reminds that he alone is the one who saves us from the start to the finish. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And so as we close, let's commit ourselves to him afresh, whatever state we might be uh, this morning, uh, that we indeed might be found before him, as is St. Paul's dream, holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Shall we pray as we close? Well, we know that um, perhaps we're, many of us, in very different places uh, this morning. Perhaps there's some of us uh, for whom these truths are very, very, very new. It's news that we are alienated from you, that there is a relationship that has broken down. And Lord, we pray that if that's us, that you would give us the, the courage and the strength to explore this and to take you up on your offer of reconciliation. Lord, we pray that we would, uh, wouldn't delay, but we would come to know that for ourselves. And Lord, perhaps for those of us who've been followers of you for many, many years, we confess that it's so easy to draw, draw cold to drift away from what uh, our first love, from what we uh, used to have as being uh, right at the centre. And we pray for each one of us, wherever, whatever situation we might find ourselves in this morning, that uh, you would be first in our hearts, you would be Lord of our lives, just as you are Lord of all creation, and that each one of us would indeed come to be with you in the future, holy and blameless, acceptable in your sight, to worship you and be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.